If you brought your Bibles this morning, and I hope that you have, turn with me to the book, to the book of 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Um, not only is Colvin gunning for my... I can talk about him, he's not up here right now. Not only is Colvin gunning for my job, but he recited my scripture this morning for my sermon. So anyways, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I'm going to read verses... Um, Let's, let me get turned there. I'm going to start at verse 12 and read through 22. But verse 18 is where I want to focus on this morning. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 12 begins and says, And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are, you, and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, and be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the Spirit, despise not prophesyings, prove all things, hold fast that which is good, abstain from all appearance of evil. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, we just humbly come before you here this morning one more time, thanking you for the good day and the many blessings, thanking you for the opportunity you've given us to, to gather here this morning and to worship you in spirit and truth. And Lord, I just pray that you would just continue to go with our service here this morning. Lord, that you'd touch each one that is here this morning. God, that you would bless them. Lord, I pray, Lord, uh, above everything else, if there's any among us that doesn't know you, any that are lost and undone, any that's wandered astray, if there is a single person here this morning that is not sure after they close their eyes for the last time what will happen next, where they will spend an eternity, whether it be in heaven or hell, or whether they even know for sure if they exist, I pray that today would be the day that you'd open their eyes. Today would be the day that you would manifest yourself, reveal yourself to their hearts. Lord, let today be the day that they would call upon you uh, with a repentant heart. Let today be the day of salvation. So Lord, we're praying, have your way and your will in our midst here this morning. God, uh, uh, just continue to bless this service. Lord, I pray uh, for myself here this morning as I try to preach your word. I can't do it without you. Matter of fact, unless you give me something to say, I got nothing to say. So Lord, I'm asking that you'd clear my mind of everything but your message, your words, your thoughts. Place on my tongue the very things you'd have me to say here to, this morning. Lord, just make it apparent, make it obvious, Lord, that... Uh, uh, as I preach, Lord, that it's from my spirit to theirs. God, that it is from you. So, Lord, I'm asking you just to help me get out of the way. 
and for you to be God of this service here this morning. Lord, I'm asking for your anointing, your holy unction. God, touch, bless, move upon, convict everyone that is here, and we'll give you all the glory. We love you. We worship you. We praise your holy name. We ask it all in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen. You know, Thanksgiving is Thursday. Thanksgiving is my absolute favorite holiday that we celebrate. I know, I know as a preacher, I was supposed to say Christmas and um, Easter. One of those two or both. And as a Christian, looking at those holidays as what they truly are and truly represent and what we are uh, remembering and celebrating, those are my favorite. But as far as how our culture celebrates them, and it's kind of the commercialism that's kind of tainted them, has kind of tainted my view a little bit also. And because of that, Thanksgiving has always been my favorite. And it doesn't help any that I like to eat, too, you know, so that kind of goes right along with it. But anyways, I've always just, even from the time that I was a kid, I always really enjoyed my family. We'd get together for Thanksgiving. I would really enjoy, I always really enjoyed Thanksgiving. Uh, And it's important for us to realize and recognize and and understand uh, what we're doing. You know, as I look, of course, you guys know I love history. And as I look at uh, this week where most all of Americans, they will, they'll stop their normal activities for at least one day and they'll gather with friends and loved ones for this time-honored, cherished uh, tradition. And as we look at the history of it, I love history, um, there's, actually, there's actually several different competing theories on, on what the actual beginning of Thanksgiving. Uh, for a long time it was, um, you know, they claimed the first ma- Thanksgiving was held in, in Massachusetts, um, and, then people, and then another group claimed that it was in Virginia, right? The, the first colonists to, uh, English colonists to come here to the United States settled in uh, Virginia. And then it wasn't long after that what we know of and think of as the pilgrims come. Uh, Plymouth Rock, you know, uh, Massachusetts. Massachusetts. And uh, Jennifer will make fun of me how I say it afterwards. But anyways, you know where I'm talking about there in the Northeast. Uh, But recently there's been another theory that it was actually the Spanish uh, that celebrated it first down in Florida. And so anyways, there's competing stories and views of when was the actual first Thanksgiving celebrated. And on one hand, it doesn't matter. It's kind of neat. Three independent groups in three different parts of the United States all begin celebrating around the same time. But the one that I'm the most familiar with and I think is traditionally recognized as the first official Thanksgiving was the pilgrims uh, in, uh, in, in Massachusetts. They began celebrating the holiday in 1621, right? And it was a Thanksgiving and it was a harvest celebration, right, by the Plymouth settlers there. And so anyways, the story is, is these uh, English pilgrims left Plymouth, England on September the 6th, 1620, and they headed for the New World. They spent about two months at sea coming, crossing the Atlantic Ocean, 
and they landed in what is now present-day Massachusetts. They got there just in time to face a harsh New England winter. I don't know how bad it was that year, but, you know, they're in New York just outside of Buffalo. What was it? They had five feet of snow the other day, you know, so winters can be brutal there in the Northeast. And they got there just in time. Not equipped or not supplied to endure a winter like that. They just weren't, I guess they weren't expecting what they, what they run into. They run prepared for the brutal and unforgiving winter. Half of the settlers died before spring. However, starting the next spring with a little bit of help uh, from the Native Americans, not a little bit, really a lot of help, they planted crops. They began to learn what would work and what would grow, and so they, plant, so they planted crops. Uh, and that fall, they harvested enough from their crops uh, to carry them through the second winter, their second winter here in the New World. It was clear to them that they would not starve to death. So these Christian pilgrims held a feast of thanksgiving to God for His grace in his favor. Right, their first celebration, it was actually a three-day celebration. It began on December the 13th, 1621, and they invited and included many of the Native Americans that had been their neighbors and had been friendly with them and had helped them and taught them, and so they wanted them, uh, they, they wanted them uh, to come and be a part. Uh, the historian H.U. Westmeyer, I think is how you say his name, or Westermeyer. He said something I read one time years ago that has just stood out to me. He said the pilgrims made seven times more graves than huts. Right? The little homes that they were building. Seven times as many graves as homes. No, he said no American has ever been more impoverished than, th- than these pilgrims, who nevertheless set aside a day of thanksgiving. It's become obvious to me that thanksgiving is really all about attitude. It's all about attitude. You think about their story. It's all about attitude. As I was studying First Thessalonians, specifically 5.18, the one that Colvin already quoted for me, as I was studying that in preparation for what I would preach here this morning, I realized that there's a lot in this whole passage of Scripture that I read to you this morning is just packed plumb full. And there's a lot of stuff that I just cannot ignore here. So I, I'm not going to cover every detail of this whole passage, but I do want to take a, a little bit of time to walk through a few things getting to verse 18. Now, in a nutshell, what I see here is there are some things that we as Christians should always do, right? I mean, if you look at this section of Scripture, it's instructions to Christians for Christian behavior. There's specifically a list here of things that we as Christians should always do in order to have that same attitude that we seem that we have the example or exemplified in the pilgrims. That attitude that always glorifies God. 
and to always have a heart of thanksgiving. In order to have that, you're going to have to adopt some of these same attitudes. So look at verse 16 for a minute. Rejoice evermore. What's that saying to us? Always rejoice. Look, joy can be something that is constant in the life of a Christian. It absolutely can be. It can be something constant in the life of a Christian. Even in the hardest times. Because Christ is a source in the subject of our joy. Do you get that for a minute? Our joy does not come from our circumstances. Right? If it come from our circumstances, if it come from whatever condition that we were in, right, they've just, they've just lost over half of the people. I mean, these are, these are people, their wives, their children, their husbands, when we look at the pilgrims of dying, but yet they still got a heart of joy and thanksgiving. We look at Paul and Peter, right, when they're in prison, what is that, Acts chapter 16, beaten in the inner, you know, in the stocks, in the innermost part of the prison, right? And, and here they are after the midnight hour singing praises and, and lifting their voices in joy to the Lord. How is that? Because their joy is not rooted in our circumstances. Instead, their joy is rooted in Christ. He is the source and the subject of their joy. If you look at, I'll, let me read to you John chapter 15 real quick. If you look at John chapter 15, starting with verse 9, it says, As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If you keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. Do you hear that? Jesus is saying, I have spoken these things to you. I have done these things. So that his joy might remain in us and that our joy might be full. You get your joy from the Lord, not from our circumstances, not from the world that we live in. You know why so many people are miserable? You know why so many people are angry and hateful and lashing out all the time? You know why so many people, right, Suicide rates is as high as they've ever been. Do you know why addiction? Look at addiction, right? Look at the addiction, the opioid crisis, and all these other drugs and stuff. What? And we're, and we're legalizing more and more of it every year. Why is it that people have such an affinity for it? Why is it they desire it so much? Why is it? What are they looking for? Look at alcoholism. What is it? It's an escape. Why do they need to escape? Why are they so miserable that they need to escape their life and their circumstances? Because they are looking in the wrong place for their joy. They're looking for it in their circumstances. They're looking for it in this world. And you'll not find it in this world. You'll only find it in Christ. That way you can have joy in the midst of a fallen and broken world. We can find joy in even the most miserable of circumstances. Because this world, I mean, 
you've got to keep in mind, it's good to remind yourself once in a while, maybe I don't know the words to the psalms and the hymns and the spiritual songs that Paul and Silas was singing, but maybe, I don't know if I'd been there, maybe it was something along the lines pretty close to our song, this world is not my home. Hallelujah. Glory to God. How else could you be joyful in a situation like that where they thought, unless God intervenes, which he did, by the way, but unless God intervenes, they were going to be executed the next day. Hallelujah. Maybe they were rejoicing, saying, this world is not my home. Hallelujah. We know that we have a future, and ain't nobody can take that from you. Ain't nobody can rob that from you, steal that from you. It will not corrupt. Moth does not eat. Moths do not eat it. It is certain because it is in Christ and it is with Christ. That's why the Bible tells us in Philippians 4, 4, to rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. One thing, can I throw one last thing out there before I move on? One thing that you should realize is that if we would worry, how do I want to say this? We would worry less if we would spend more time praising God and rejoicing. Let me just put it to you this way. Worry less, rejoice more. Worry less, rejoice more. When, when the temptation comes and the devil comes along and the circumstances and the burdens, right, come to you that bring all that worry, don't worry, rejoice. Worry less, rejoice more. Verse 17 says, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. You know, that's a, that's a verse that always kind of gives me a lot of trouble. Pray without ceasing. Without ceasing means without stopping, right? So pray without stopping. And you think, well, I mean, you know, you got to stop whenever you talk to somebody or whenever you... You know, you, you just think all these things in these technical circumstances uh, without really trying to get in and look at what is meant here. I, done a, I actually done a pretty in-depth study on this one time. And looking at the original language, looking at the Greek, the New Testament was translated out of Greek into English. Looking at the Greek word without, um, without ceasing, it's one word in the Greek. I, I, I won't even try to say it. I couldn't say it if I tried. I won't even try to say it. But let me tell you how that word is used. You ever had a time where you had a cough or was around somebody that had a cough and they just coughed and coughed and coughed and coughed? Um, my grandma would always say, and I picked it up, I don't know if it's common saying or not, but it's common for me and around my house, cough their head off. Just, she'd always say, poor little thing, just coughing his head off. That is exactly, that word without ceasing in the Greek language is the exact word they would use when they were describing somebody that had a, that had a cough like that, that just seemed like it wouldn't stop. Does that literally mean, when we say somebody's coughing their head off, does that literally mean they have that persistent cough that every second, every moment is nothing but a solid cough? No, it just means it's persistent. It won't stop. You know, it's just one after another, after another, after another. That's what he's saying to us. That's how our prayer should be. It's like that persistent cough, right? Without ceasing, right? Instead of coughing your head off, pray your head off. You know, some people only pray now and then, like when the notion hits them, 
or worse yet, when the circumstances push them to God? Unfortunately, that's what a lot of our prayer lives look like. But that's not what the Bible teaches us. The Bible says that we are to pray at all times, in all seasons, and at every opportunity. Right? We're to pray without ceasing. Always pray. We're to pray not only in the times of danger, but at all times. Right? We are tempted to pray only at times when we're confronted uh, with the trials of life and the temptations and the troubles that we face in this world. Uh, And really, we're tempted to only pray when we face those troubles or in those circumstances that's beyond our control. Right? Our first instinct is, is if we can handle it, we handle it. Or we know somebody, we got somebody immediately around us that we turn to that we feel like can handle it or help us handle it. Our first instinct is is to exhaust all of our resources and then when there's nothing left nowhere else to turn then we might as well pray because what else can you do that's our attitude and that is 180 degrees that is the complete opposite of what it should be our first instinct should be to pray before you breathe a word of it to anyone else whisper it to God pray we should be praying in all circumstances at all times. Prayer should be our first instinct, not our last resort. Listen to me. Prayer is never out of place. There is never, ever. You will never find yourself in a circumstance, in a situation, at a place, around a a person or group of people where it is wrong or inappropriate or out of place to pray. Prayer is always the right thing to do. Pray all the time about everything. Not just when, whenever you have problems. Not only before you eat and before you go to bed. Right? Those are good times to pray. But those aren't the only times. Pray about, before, during, and after everything. And you know something? I think maybe this is one reason why we, our prayer lives are a little short. Is we think prayer is all about me and me talking. But you know, there's a listening side to prayer also, right? Prayer is it's communication with God, right? I mean, if, if you, you know, come over to me and come over to my house to visit and you talk nonstop, and I don't say a single word. Did we really visit? Was, was there really some communication that took place there? I mean, I guess there was, but it was only one way. That's not the way prayer is. It's both ways. It's talking and it's listening. An attitude of prayerfulness is, a, is an attitude of being in continual fellowship with God. Now, I understand that we can't spend all of our time on our knees. But it's possible to have this prayerful attitude at all times. Although, don't get me wrong, a prayerful attitude is not a substitute for regular time on our knees before God. We absolutely need to find regular time on our knees before God. But even when those, in those times and those moments, right, I mean, you know, there's things that you've got to do in this life and things that are required of us. So those times where we can't be on our knees before God, we ought to have an attitude and a heart of, prayer, of prayerfulness. 
Philippians 4, uh, 4, 6 says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And then the verse I wanted to get to, verse 18. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Notice it says, in everything. So, what are, what are these verses? What, what are we saying here? Always rejoice. Always pray. Always give thanks. In everything. Now, it does not say for everything. It says in everything. Not for everything, but in everything. Right? What do I mean by that? Well, first of all, evil does not come from God, so we should not uh, thank God for evil, right? But when evil strikes, we can still be thankful for God's presence, for His goodness, and for the good that we know that He will accomplish through our times of trouble and tribulation. God is always working to bring good. We know that. And he, so even in... in terrible times, and even when the evil comes and strikes, we can still thank God, right? Think about the example of Job. I think Job is a good example, right? He lost all of his money. He lost all of his children. He even lost his health. But he went on and blessed the name of God in spite of his personal tragedies. Not because of them, but in spite of them. Listen to me. Nothing speaks more powerfully of a walk with God than thankfulness in all circumstances. All circumstances. You want to be a witness to your kids and your grandkids, your family and your friends, those that are lost and seem so hardened. Have a heart of thankfulness, even when tragedy strikes. Regardless of what you might have lost or what you might be going through. Christians are to be marked by thanksgiving. It is the will of God, right? The world is marked by, give me this. The world is marked by, I deserve this. I have a right to this. The world is marked by an attitude of entitlement. But the Christian is to be different. We're to be marked by an attitude of thanksgiving. In all circumstances, no matter what. Think about it for just a minute and I'll close. The pilgrims started this great time-honored tradition that we're getting ready to celebrate even after having lost so much. Seven graves for every home. I think that right there is the reason I'll never forget that quote. Seven graves for every home. That's what they have just experienced. That is what they have just come out of. Can you have the same attitude 
Let me say it this way. Could you have an attitude of thanksgiving regardless of what you might have lost and what you're going through? Do you always have a heart of thanksgiving in all circumstances? Listen to me. God has already, if you're saved, God has already given you eternal life. How much more does he need to give you? Right? How much more does he need to give you before you'll have an attitude of thanksgiving? He's already given you the greatest gift that could have ever been given, right? The best that heaven had to offer. He's already freely given it to you. That should invoke a heart of thanksgiving out of us for all of eternity. So what am I saying? We're having our Thanksgiving dinner here in just a minute, but you all are going to be getting together probably with friends and family this week. And so as we approach this day of Thanksgiving, let us determine in our hearts that giving thanks through rejoicing and prayer will not just be something that we do this one Thursday in November, but we will be determined to do it every day of the year. Let us ask God for his help in rejoicing and praying and giving thanks evermore and everything. Jennifer, will you come for a song of invitation? I don't know what your circumstances are today. Maybe, maybe you've come in here and you've just been... had your eyes on the wrong thing. Focused on the wrong circumstances, the wrong thing. Focused on your circumstances. Focused on the society, on the world, on the culture. On, you know, maybe whatever has happened to you this week or this morning or recently. Can I invite you to just take your eyes off of the circumstances and put them back on Jesus? Can I invite you to cultivate a heart of prayer, a heart of rejoicing, a heart of thanksgiving? Would you stand to your feet? I want to open the altar and I want to give you a chance to come this morning. Spirit of God dealing with you, would you come this morning? If you've got a need, you've got a heavy burden, I want you to come this morning. Maybe you'd just like to come and give the Lord thanks for something. By not, then by all means, do so. Whatever the need is here this morning, would you come? Would you come?